Thanks, Alwyn. Would you pray with me before we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the chance that we have to come together this morning as as believers here in this place. And Lord, as we come around your word, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. I pray for myself that, that I would speak your words with courage and boldness, but also to help us to understand And pray that your spirit would would dwell amongst us this morning and and speak to each one of our hearts. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago I prayed, uh, I preached, and um, the air conditioning went out. Um, If you can all, you know, it's hot outside, if you can all be praying quietly about that, that the air conditioning won't, won't drop out on us. We're in the final part of our Widen Your Heart series, the final chapter, chapter 13. And Paul is writing his final warnings to the Corinthian church. Paul's ready like a, like a cowboy in a wild western town. He's ready for a showdown. He's going to bring out the big stick when he gets to, to Corinth. And he's ready for a showdown with those in the Corinthian church who he's already warned previously about sexual immorality, about quarrelling, about disputes, about anger, unrighteous anger, jealousy, disruption, slander, gossip, conceit, and the list goes on. These these people, they're, they're, they're just like us, aren't they? He says, I've warned you, I will warn you again, and I will warn you again when I come to you. And into this showdown, he brings the principle of of the two or three witnesses. He says in verse 1 there, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so he brings this brings this uh, principle into, into play here. And he's warning those that have sinned, warning everyone in the church that one, he won't be lenient on them when he comes to them. And two, that he's, that he's going to have two or three witnesses with him. And these two or three witnesses, in fact two witnesses, is, is Timothy and Titus. And we can see that in verse 18 of chapter 12. He says, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. And we speculate that that brother is, is Timothy. And, and Paul has actually had charges brought against him. So it's, it's not just the warnings of, of those within the church that have sinned. It's, it's actually Paul bringing this principle into play against the charges that have been brought against him. He's been accused of, of not being an apostle. And he's been accused um, in particular by, by these other self-proclaimed super apostles within the church. He's had his apostleship questioned by, by other people in the church. And so by bringing this concept of the reliable witnesses into play, he knows that he will have a leg to stand on when he comes to the church with his warnings. But, but these other guys, they won't. They won't be able to produce any reliable witnesses. 
And Paul also knows that he'll be following the biblical mandate for, for, for handling disputes within the community of believers. Now, this, this concept and this principle of two or three reliable witnesses to establish a charge comes from the Old Testament, which, which is all that Paul had in that, in that day. And, um, and it starts right back at the establishment of Israel as a nation in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Have a look there on the board. It says that a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offence that he has, has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So there's, there's no time when one witness suffices. And Jesus went a little bit further in this, and I hope you can read that. Matthew chapter 18, he adds another step in there in, in handling disputes. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector, a non-believer. And so the idea and, and the practice of this principle of having two or three witnesses in, in handling disputes, it is key to um, restoring relationships. It's key to restoring relationships before disagreements get out of hand. It's key to, firstly, restoring your Christian brother or sister if they are not practicing godliness, restoring them to God. And it's also key to removing the chance for any sort of gossip or, or any sort of disagreement to fester into, into more than it has to be. Because before you have a chance to go and talk about someone behind their back about how they've done you wrong, you will be compelled to seek them out and to, to speak to them about the issue. And before you have a chance to, to wonder whether you've hurt someone's feelings or not, they will come and seek you out and, and you can work through the issue at hand. Do you see the principle at work here? But Paul says that the first step in resolving any conflict is to always examine ourselves first. You can see my cute little set of steps there. The first step is to always examine yourself. In verse 5 he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul says that the first and foremost, we should be worried more about ourselves than, than anyone else within the church. We should be worried about our condition of our faith before we go 
glancing over at anyone else in a judgmental way. We should be worried about our grass and whether it needs a mow or whether it needs a fertiliser or whether it needs weed spraying before we go looking over the fence at our neighbour's grass and their weeds and their grass. He says we should be worried about our own faith first and foremost. Examine yourselves to see if you pass the test. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 there. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So you see the first aspect of of working through any issues, working through any disputes or disagreements, is to examine ourselves first. And so often we're we're concerned about everyone else's faith and everyone else's condition of, of their faith before we examine ourselves, aren't we? And the purpose of, of examining ourselves is to, to see if we pass the test, to see if Christ is working in our lives. Here I was thinking that Christianity was a, a faith based on grace, but there's a test. I hope it's multiple choice. The answer of, of this test, the, the, the pass or the fail mark, is either you pass the test because Jesus is living in you, working in you, and you're allowing him to change your life, to change your character, to change your conduct. Or the fail mark, he's not living in you. He's not allowed to change anything about your character. He's not allowed to change anything about your conduct. And if there was a written test, some of the questions on this test might look like these, and they're not multiple choice questions. Such questions as, is my speech godly? Do I try and build others up rather than tear them down, as is the Aussie way? What's my conduct like when nobody's watching? What am I looking at late at night on the TV or the, or the computer? When I'm driving in the car by myself, do other silly drivers make me irate? How am I handling my finances? What we learnt about a couple of weeks ago from 2 Corinthians 9. How do I treat my spouse and my my kids? Do I treat them in a kind and godly way always? Do I live as though Jesus Christ was crucified for my sin, to cleanse me of that sin? Or am I returning to sin on a regular basis? Am I keeping my part of the covenant of being someone who shows my love for Jesus by my obedience to his commands. 
And when conflict arises, either within my family or within the church, do I follow the biblical mandate for conflict resolution? They're all, all questions that are, that are concerned about me, not you, me. And if I was in your seat, it would con- be concerned, it would be referring to you. They are self-examining questions, aren't they? And the purpose of Paul's letter here in 2 Corinthians is to, is to build up the church. Not to tear it down. He's not coming with a, with a big stick or a, or a, you know, fire to wipe them out. He's trying to build them up. Have a look at what he says in verse 10. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me, for building up and for not tearing down. You see, what Paul is hoping for in the outcome of this letter is that after they have examined themselves, that they would resolve the conflicts, that they would repent of their sin that that prevails within this church, that they would, would grow in their faith, they would continue to mature in their faith and they would wipe out all ungodly conduct. He was hoping that they would be able to resolve these conflicts and these disputes and the the sexual immorality and, and the list goes on. He was hoping that they would be able to work it out for themselves before he came and before he had to be severe with them. And so to this effect, he prays for their restoration. So the second step that we see is is for us to to firstly examine ourselves. The second step is to aim for restoration. Look at verse 9. Paul says, We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. And here's another great test of whether we are in the faith or not. Do we pray for restoration? Do we pray for restoration with our enemies or or even those within the church that we have a disagreement with? I'm not trying to place Duncan and myself on a pedestal, but up in those offices during the week, there are prayers made for your restoration, made for our restoration as well. There are prayers made on your behalf for your restoration. Restoration between you and God and restoration between different people within the church and outside the church even. And Paul prays for the Corinthian church's restoration. First and foremost, their restoration with God and their restoration of their relationships. And when we look back over the last couple of weeks of what we've learnt through the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, we see that there's been a huge focus on grace, hasn't there? 
particularly through through chapter 9 chapter 12 and, and even today there's a there's a focus on grace all of paul's letters focus on grace but chapter 9 was all about god's provision grace in god's provision and and grace in the corinthian church giving above and beyond their means and then chapter 12 was grace as all sufficient in all things at all times and grace of god being working in their weaknesses being made perfect in their weakness and now you can see that paul is exhibiting grace in this in the way that he carries out church discipline He's not coming in, he's, he's not wanting to come in initially with a, a huge stick and, and just bash him over the head and say, sort it out, people. He's allowing people the opportunity to repent, to examine themselves, to repent and to aim towards restoration. And neither is he just sweeping things under the carpet, but he's bringing things to light so that there would be growth that there would be Christian maturity within the church. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. For we are weak, we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things to you while I'm away from you that, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and for not tearing down. Verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the love of, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Can you see the grace that is in those words? We're going to come around the communion table shortly and, and be reminded of our, our aspect of our faith, that we are a community of grace. How can we come around this communion table as people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, how can we claim to be a community of grace and recipients of that grace and yet sometimes not extend that to others within our community? I know that there's many people here in this church that have had horrible things done to them. Some of these people... Who've, who've done these things may be in the room with you this morning. Are you willing to aim towards restoration? Are you willing to, to forgive them of these things? Are you willing to, to come to them with grace and to restore relationships? If we participate in this table, we are saying that we are recipients of grace from God through our faith in Jesus Christ.
How can we claim to be undeserving recipients of this grace and yet make judgments of, of who is deserving of our grace and our forgiveness? It's extremely hypocritical to do this. It's extremely hypocritical to think, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to accept your grace. But I don't want to to pay that forward. And you might be thinking that there's, there's people that have done horrible things to them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Did you deserve God's forgiveness? Did you deserve Jesus to die on the cross for your sins? You might be thinking, but but those people need justice. You don't know what they've done to me. The same measure of judgment that you use, you will be judged with. And trust me, you don't want justice for your sins. It would be extremely hypocritical of us to come around this communion table and and to celebrate the fact that we are recipients of grace, that we have had our sins forgiven by the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and yet not be willing to pay that forward to others to not be able to to aim towards restoration. The title of this series is Open Wide Your Hearts. The title of this series is Open Wide Your Hearts. Open wide your hearts first and foremost to God, but open wide your hearts to others as well. So if there is anyone among you this morning that that there's tension or disagreement, we need to do that. We need to aim towards restoration. If there's anyone further afield that, that has hurt you in the past, you need to make a phone call and aim towards restoration. But in doing this, let's remember to be a community flavoured with grace a community flavoured with grace if if anyone comes to you with a point of disagreement don't get defensive don't get your back up and likewise if the shoe is on the other foot if you go to anyone with a point of disagreement don't be on the attack don't be offensive Flavour your words and your body language with grace. Have a look at verse 11 again. Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you see that promise there at the end and the God of love and peace will be with you what a promise to to stand on but this just shouldn't be a promise that that should should be seen as a reward of their good behavior 
this promise should be seen as, as as much a part of the process, as much a part of the process of of God living amongst them, of God giving them the power to be able to do this, the ability to be able to do this, to live in agreement with one another, to live in peace with one another. It's only through God's power that we are able to live in peace with one another. It's only through the the grace that God provides that we are able to do this. And so we we must be looking to him constantly, daily, for the ability and the strength to live peaceably with others. I know I've, I've spoken about forgiveness and restoration as if it was theory in a textbook. But forgiveness comes at a cost, people. Restoration comes at a cost. It cost Jesus his life. It cost God his son to be able to give you forgiveness and restoration with God. So it costs us. It costs us the, 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 the time to, to humble ourselves and to, to aim towards restoration. It costs us dearly to be able to forgive. It means that we must lay down our pride and our lives in a figurative sort of way, to be able to extend grace and forgiveness to others and to aim towards restoration. As I said, we're going to come around this communion table if the, the stewards would come forward for me. Where we're going to remember the cost of what it meant to, to be forgiven and restored to God the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed and broken for our sake. My final words, aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. Live in peace and know that God is is with you, that God is, is providing the power to to be able to do this, that God is is with you. The God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't need to say 
much more than that. The, the scriptures speak for themselves. You are proclaiming the Lord's death and what it means to you personally this morning. I want to give you some time now to, to come before the Lord, to examine yourselves, to aim towards restoration. And I know this is, a, this is not a short process. but to live in peace with one another. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come around this table this morning to acknowledge the grace that has been extended to us from you. We acknowledge the, the Lord's death until you come again. And Lord, we, we thank you for this, for this sacrifice that, that washes us clean of our sins and, and restores us with you so that we may see your glory. Lord, I ask that you would help us to extend that same sort of grace to others around us. To aim towards restoration, to be able to live in peace with you first and foremost but, and to live in peace with others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts and in our, our community. We pray that, you would, that we would allow you the room to move and the room to extend that grace towards others. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. As the, as the bread and the cup...